Welcome everyone to New Valley Church. We are very, very glad that you have joined us. Uh, if you're new to New Valley or new to church altogether, we are very glad that you're here. Um, I wanted to give you a brief update about uh, what's going on. I know a lot of people in Arizona are beginning to ask, when is my church going to open up? When will we have services in person? And especially in light of Governor Ducey's uh, information this week. Um, this next week, we will be sharing more details about our plan, and I will be sending out a video for you guys to see to kind of explain the various phases that we'll be looking at as we move forward. Um, as I mentioned before, we're not going to just flick a light switch and turn back on and return to Sunday morning worship, but it'll be more like a dimmer switch as we'll be increasingly adding things and we'll be going through various phases. So I look forward to sharing our plan with you next week. Let's pray together and then get into our passage. Father, we come to you right now and ask that you would be with us and that you would strengthen us and meet us as we open up your word. Uh, be with us, Father. Be uh, with people who are suffering in our community. Uh, be with the sick. Be with the downhearted. Um, and no matter what people are going through right now, Father, would you meet them right there, right there and right here and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. I believe the greatest challenge to belief in God, and not just the Christian faith, but any belief or theology, is the problem of the existence of evil the problem of suffering, the problem of death. It, it goes like this. How can there be an all-powerful God who is also altogether loving, and yet all of this evil and all of this suffering exist? How can those two things go together? Today, our passage will certainly not answer that question in totality or philosophically, but we will have a heart answer from Jesus today as we see his suffering. We have been studying uh, the Gospel of Mark since the early part of April 2019. And what we've seen is in the first half of the Gospel of Mark, um, Jesus is very much focused on letting us know that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that in his incarnation and in his coming, that the very presence of the kingdom of God is breaking out. And so where King Jesus goes around Galilee, we see examples of that kingdom. We see that the deaf can hear and the blind can see and the lame can walk. We see Jesus confronting evil as the king of kings and the kingdom of God being ushered in. And evil has no place or presence where Jesus is. We see Jesus establishing his kingdom through his teaching. And then the second half of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' main focus begins to be on making his way to Jerusalem as he has set his face on the cross. And we are coming towards the end of that part of the story, of course, and towards the week and days of his passion. Last week, we saw in the Gospel of Mark, how Jesus had made his way into Jerusalem for the Passover meal, had shared that with the disciples. It was the Last Supper on the one hand and the first Lord's Supper on the other as Jesus shares the Passover meal with them. 
Judas betrays him, leaves, and Jesus now takes three of his disciples and goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press in Hebrew, and I can't think of a better phrase to illustrate what happens in this garden where Jesus is pressed and is under pressure. Gethsemane was on the western side of the Mount of Olives. Jesus goes there with these three disciples, his best friends. And I want us to see three things today from our passage. One is the humanity of the Son of God. Two is the humanity of the disciples. And three is the faithfulness of the Son of God. First, the humanity of the Son of God. Jesus is fully God, and he is fully man. And this passage, perhaps more than any other, shows us the humanity of Jesus. Up to this point in the gospel, Jesus has been calm and cool and collected in the face of storms, in the face of death, in, in the face of evil. Jesus has been calm, cool, collected. He has even been that way as he's faced his enemies, as they have attacked him and, and come against him. But in this moment, we see him coming into despair. Mark tells us that Jesus was distressed and troubled, and that same phrase in the original language means alarmed, distraught, and in anguish. Jesus was a man. He was fully God, and he was also fully human. And in his humanity, we see Jesus full of anxiety here, fear, he's distraught, and he is in anguish. And he says to these three best friends of his, Peter, James, and John, come with me, pray with me, and watch carefully. If you've suffered in this life, if you've gone through pain and suffering in this life, you can take courage, encouragement from this passage. He says to these three best friends to, uh, to them, listen, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death remained here and watch. Jesus, uh, this uh, Hebrews chapter 2 says this of Jesus, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. In our observation of Jesus and his humanity, look at the strength that we find that Jesus, our Lord, himself suffered and was tempted. Look how beautiful the Christian gospel is. God is not distant from suffering and our pain and our struggle Jesus and his humanity goes through that. Mark then tells us that Jesus, as he's praying, fell to the ground and cried out to the Lord, may this cup pass. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe at some point in your life, you've been in such anguish that you have literally fallen to the ground. I remember the morning when I received a phone call from a family member to tell me that my dad had passed away. And I took the phone that was in my hand and I threw it across the room and I fell to the ground and I cried out, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But I fell to the ground in anguish and pain and suffering. 
He was only 62 years old. My wife was pregnant with our firstborn son. He wouldn't even meet his first grandchild. I was in turmoil. As Jesus falls to the ground, he says this, if it is possible for this hour to pass. And then he cries out, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And we see here the intimacy that exists between the Father and the Son. Jesus calls him Abba. And if you've been around church at all, you know that this phrase is Aramaic and it means daddy. And of course, he is God the Father, but the Son calls him daddy. In that moment, he cries out, daddy, let this cup, let this hour pass from me. Would you consider the anguish of the Son in his humanity in this moment? But would you also consider the anguish of the Father in this moment? Can you imagine? God the Father may feel distance to you, distant to you, but the reality is he must have suffered anguish as he saw his precious Son suffering. When our son Jacob was two and a half years old, our firstborn. We were on vacation at Hilton Head, South Carolina. And towards the end of the week, uh, we were getting ready to leave. And we were gathering our things and we put Jacob in his car seat. And he began uh, to suffer in his stomach and complain that his, his tummy was hurting. And as we drove towards Asheville, North Carolina to spend the evening with Becky's parents, we kept uh, hearing him complain and complain. And it got so bad and so intense that we went to the emergency room as soon as we got there. And one of the first things that they said that he may be dealing with is something called intussusception. And it required them to do a test uh, that had radiology in it to determine what was going on. And Becky was pregnant with our second son, Carter, and so she wasn't able to go into the room. So we took him from the emergency room into this examination room where they began to do a test on him. And the test was invasive, and the test was painful, and already the pain that he was suffering from the intussusception was enormous, and it's dangerous. It can even be deadly if left untreated. And he, as they are performing this test on this two-and-a-half-year-old, is looking me square in the eyes, and he is crying out, Daddy, no, and with enormous volume in his voice and with tears, Daddy, no, Daddy, no, and he couldn't understand a thing of what was happening to him. And if there was anything in my power that I could have done to stop it, I would have, but I could not. But Jesus knows that for the Father, all things are possible. And he cries out to his daddy and says, Daddy, no. Mark so beautifully describes the humanity of the Son of God. And now we look at the humanity of the disciples. Many skeptics of Christianity will often bring up that the disciples, they believe, after the death of Jesus, needed to create a mythology around his resurrection. And so in order to keep their movement going and in order to like create this power that they may have, they created a false religion, they would say, a sect of Judaism around the mythology of Jesus. 
Well, if you're going to create a mythology and, and a Messiah like this for Jewish people, this is a strange way to do it because the, the expectation of the Jewish people in this day was that their Messiah would be a military uh, conqueror, a king who would establish his kingdom and he would remove the Roman Empire from their invading forces. And yet Jesus dies at the hands of the Romans. And not only that, if you're creating a religion from scratch or a sect of Judaism, why would you go to such great lengths to describe how bad the disciples were? And yet that's exactly what Mark does. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all go to great lengths to describe the weakness of these followers of Jesus. Imagine if you had a close friend who was dying of cancer and that friend asks you to come and pray with you because the hour of their death is getting very close and they're scared and they're frightened and they just need friends to gather around them to pray and to be with them and to watch. But you kept falling asleep on that person. Jesus has asked this very thing of the disciples. Would you watch? Would you stay awake with me for an hour to prayer? to pray, but in their frailty, in their humanity, they are unable to, and they fall asleep on Jesus in his hour of need, in the hour of his anguish and anxiety, they fall asleep. He asked Peter, could you not watch for one hour? And then Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples we see in great relief here are human like you and me. And while they have the Holy Spirit, their flesh is weak. And while they desire to be faithful to Jesus, just like you and me, they often blow it. And we see here their need for the saving work of Jesus Christ. We see the humanity of Jesus. We see the humanity of the disciples. And thanks be to God, now we see the faithfulness of the Son of God. Jesus has been aware of his mission, we, we realize from the Gospel of Mark, for some time. Because at least in the second half, he sets his face and he keeps telling his disciples, I will be handed over to the rulers and I will suffer. And as he draws near, the horror of it begins to become more and more clear to him. Now, in church history, it's interesting, there have been several martyrs who've been able to go to their death with confidence and with great faith. A man named Polycarp was one of those. He was Bishop of Smyrna. And there's a story told about him where as the magistrates gathered him together and said to him, if you will recant your faith in Jesus Christ, you will not have to face the fires of martyrdom. But he said to them, the fire that you threaten burns for a little and then is quenched. You don't know the fire of the judgment that is coming. But why do you delay? Come, do what you will. So why was Jesus so overcome with grief in this moment and anxiety and, and, and filled with this anxiousness that he's not had before? Well, one of the primary reasons is this, as Jesus nears the cross, again, the horror and the spectacle of what he will face is becoming clearer and clearer. And it's not simply physical death, that would be one thing, but instead it is the cup and it is the hour. And the cup and the hour in the Old Testament 
were symbols and signs of the coming judgment of God against the sinfulness and rebellion of humanity. Mary Healy writes in her outstanding commentary, the temptation that had been present throughout his ministry to be a Messiah other than the one willed by the Father reaches its climax. The per- precisely in this culmination of his anguish, he surrenders unconditionally to the Father, reversing the whole history of the human rebellion. Not what I will, but what you will. The faithfulness of the Son of God, the humanity, the anguish, but in spite of the anguish, Jesus' faithfulness to follow through. In Mark 14, verses 41 and 42, Jesus says this, It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And I hadn't noticed this phrase before until this week when I read it, when he says, it is enough. And what that word means in Greek is, it is settled. The will of the Father has been communicated to Jesus, and Jesus submits to the will of the Father beautifully. It is enough. It is settled. When Jacob cried out to me in that testing room and said, Daddy, no, Daddy, no. I would have stopped it if I could, but I knew that I couldn't because he had something going on in his body that would harm him, and I needed him to go through this experience in order to be healed, to have the surgery. And so he didn't understand what was going out and was crying out in anguish, and as a father, that was so painful, but I knew he had to go through this suffering in order to be healed. When Jesus cried out to his father, Daddy, no, Daddy, no. The Father knew that in order for us to be healed, for us to not face death, that Jesus had to endure this trial. God's plan was for his cup of wrath and for his hour to fall upon his son Jesus on the cross in order that it may never fall on you and me. And you may be tempted to believe in this moment as you hear about God's wrath and his anger and his cup and his hour of judgment, that that means that God is not a loving God. But please hear me, that is not true. Tim Keller writes in his book, The King's Cross, loving people can get angry not in spite of their love, but because of their love. In fact, the more closely and deeply you love people in your life, the angrier you can get. When we see people harming or abusing those we love, we get angry at them. When we see people we love ruin their lives through addiction and self-harm, we get angry at them or what they are doing to themselves. So if you see someone harming themselves and you aren't moved to greater anger and action, would that be love? The more loving you are, the more furiously angry you will be at whatever harms your beloved. And the greater the harm, the more resolute your opposition will be. Friends, please see how beautiful the gospel is. One of the greatest questions in opposition to belief in God of any sort 
at all is the question of where is God in suffering? Where is God in the midst of evil? Where is God in the midst of pandemic? Where is God in the midst of, of death and suffering and pain and chronic illness? Where is he? And the beautiful picture that Mark paints in the Garden of Gethsemane is that right there in the pain is where you find God. Right there in the tear, in the tears and the blood and the anguish and the sorrow, God is right there. Please never accuse God of not caring about us in our suffering of evil. And while this passage does not explain the full understanding of why, it certainly shows us that God is with us. God loves us. And friends, ultimately, know this. God loved us so much that he allowed his own son to suffer the pain in this garden, but even more so the pain that's coming in the days ahead or the hours ahead in his passion. As we continue to study the Gospel of Mark together, you will see how much Jesus endured in order that you would be loved and accepted and given the gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we, we praise you that you are not a God who is distant from us in suffering, that the message of your gospel shouts to us and sings to us that you are close at hand even when we suffer and face great evil. You understand you have been tempted, you have been tried, you have lived the life that we have been living, except you have endured much more than we ever will through your Son, and we give you thanks for that. May that give us great hope as we learn to cry out to you in joy that you are with us. In Jesus' good name, amen.